Personalized Learning with Matt Corden, where we talk about the do-do's and don't-do's of personalized learning. My name's Matt, and I'm not joined by Courtney today. Instead, we have an interview with Jethro Jones, principal of Tanana Middle School in Fairbanks, Alaska. He's also the host of the great podcast, Transformative Principal. We talk about culture and school buildings, the role of technology in today's schools, and much, much more. I'm sure you will enjoy this interview, so let's start. I am here today with Jethro Jones of the Transformative Principal Podcast. Welcome, Jethro. Oh, thank you, Matt. It is an honor to be on one of my favorite podcasts. Well, thank you very, very much. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? And uh, one thing I'd like to know is about how you started podcasting and why. All right. Well, I am a principal in Alaska and um, in Fairbanks, to be specific. And it is nice and cold up here and very little sunlight during the winter and a lot of sunlight during the day uh, in and night in the summertime. So um, I started my podcast about four and a half years ago when I was a um, assistant principal at a Title I school. And I just was not happy with the professional development that I was getting. And I looked for other principal-focused podcasts and um, had found one called Practical Principles with Melinda Miller and Brian Stuckey. And then they stopped doing it and and I felt a void. And so I decided to start my own because why not? Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> now here I am uh, four years later and... Um, over 200 episodes later, over 200,000 downloads later, and um, still doing it and loving it every single time. And whenever I finished an interview, my wife is always like, how'd that go? And I'm, I always say, that was amazing <laughs> because <laughs> I get so much out of it that it is, it's just incredible. So um, I love doing it. And from that, it has spawned into other things. I do a leadership summit each summer. Um, where we teach leaders how to be better leaders. And then I also do a mastermind um, with other principals on a weekly basis where we, that's where like, I really feel like that is taking your own professional development to the next level. That's where um, the Twitter and PLN and listening to podcasts, that's all good, but we really take it to the next level in the mastermind. And that's group coaching and supporting each other, setting goals and having accountability man, I just, I love doing that. That is, that is the best. It's like these conversations, but we have them every week with multiple people and we're always figuring out how we can be better. So this thing has kind of grown into something uh, much bigger than it was before. And still I'm a principal day to day and love that job as well. And being able to be with kids and teachers and helping them improve too. So with the mastermind thing, is that the same principles every week or is it uh, more of a, like an open invitation? How, how does that work? No, nope, that is the same principles every week and they um, commit to being a part of that group and bringing their A game to every meeting. And um, and we, we meet every Thursday morning and then another group meets every Tuesday evening and um it is, it's awesome. So much fun. And seeing the growth, we do a book study together. We set goals and keep track of them. And currently with our, I keep track of how many people achieve their goals. We're at an 80% success rate. And some of those goals are pretty simple little things. Others are really big deals, like having a really crucial conversation with a, a teacher that, um, 
is just really struggling that as the principal, you're just avoiding having that conversation because you know, it's going to be awful. So you keep putting it off because you don't want to have it because you care about the person. You don't want to hurt them, but still you need to do something. And, and it's just amazing how that, uh, how we coach people through that. We help them figure out what to say. And then, you know, we're still protecting people's confidentiality, but we talk about the situation, help them be the best leader they can by actually dealing with those issues. Well, that kind of leads into my, uh, one of my first questions then is, is what do you think the principal role is in, in developing a culture of learning? Uh, what do you think that looks like? Uh, whatever your experience has been with that, but basically what is, what can a principal do to really focus on a culture of learning in a school? Uh, you know, I really think they need to be an example of that and, um, and they need to be talking about it regularly. So I listen to a ton of podcasts. I read a lot and I'm sharing those with my faculty every single, every single week. And, um, I'm active on social media and, and doing that kind of learning as well. And really like it's, the idea needs to be that learning can happen anywhere. And so you don't have to be in a classroom to, um, to have learning experiences. And when we interview teachers, um, we ask them uh, a question, which is how do you take control of your own professional learning? And most people say it's, you know, I take classes or I'm working on my master's or this, that, or the other. And what I'm really looking for is how do you show that you are trying to learn everywhere you go? And it's rare that I get someone who does that, but I interviewed someone for a mid-year position just a couple of weeks ago and, and she was like, well, you know, I go to the library and I check out all these books and I, and I'm constantly reading different things. And these are the Ted videos that I've watched recently. And these are the, um, the other things that I found. And this is another book that I bought that I read. And, and like when she was talking, I could tell that she had a culture of learning in her life. And I said, that's who I want in my school. And that, that is exactly how it works. You find those things and you make sure that those people can model it. And it starts with you as the principal doing that. So leading off that a little bit is what about the teachers that we have that, that don't really have that culture of learning that really, uh, you know, they, they may be fine teachers, but they're kind of just plateaued. Uh, what what do we do about those as as administrators? Is is that something that we can help them get better? But there there comes a point, right, where where something needs to happen. Yeah, and what I've found with those people is that they've really just lost the spark. They've forgotten why they got into this business to begin with, and they they typically, in my experience, just need a reminder of of what is going on and you know there are various ways to do that of um of encouraging them to move into that learning mindset once again and sometimes that you know means adding another course that they weren't they weren't teaching before um adding another expectation that they weren't doing before to to help them do that but really first it comes down to having a conversation with them of of why did you do start? Be, why did you want to become a teacher? And 
why does that matter to you? And reigniting their their passion for why they became a teacher. And and I've found that when you do that, that starts them going down that path. And then they're much more willing to take on those additional opportunities that will create the opportunity for them to have a culture of learning. And sometimes, yeah, it does mean that you need to go down the disciplinary route, but that's that's a pretty far step down the path. There's so much that you can do before that by inviting them to participate in, in new learning experiences. I don't think that there's any teacher out there who is lazy or just phoning it in who's a real teacher. I think there are people who are stuck in a job that they hate and that definitely exists and they they're not happy to be there either and are looking for a reason to leave and you know if if you talk about the why and that doesn't ignite them then you start sharing some things that you're learning and encouraging them to to show how they're learning new things um and that's still not doing it that's when there there might be a good chance that they that they don't even like their job as it is. And, and I've seen those teachers and they're, they're looking for permission to give up and be done. And, you know, having that crucial conversation of, um, of identifying the reality that they're in is, is an important step. That's, Oh, so difficult, (laughs) but, but definitely worthwhile to do. Um, but for me, most people aren't there. Most people are just kind of like, um, burnt out. And we need to reignite the passion. The way that I find to do that in a really effective way, in addition to the things I've talked about, is by taking things off their plate. You know, in my district, teachers are required to submit lesson plans. I have no idea why. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. <laughs> and and yet they do it. But I do not hold anybody accountable for lesson plans unless they're on a plan of improvement. And they have to. And that's because I'm so concerned about what they're teaching that I need to be reviewing it. But I mean, that's, that's one of those things, like you can just take that off people's plates and they don't need to be jumping through those hoops. I mean, that is, that's like one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I totally agree. I like how you said that uh, you think they've just uh, lost a spark. And I think that's a good way to, to put it is how do we, how do we reignite that? Uh, that, that I think that's one of the, one of the keys because you, you're right. I don't think teachers are by, by nature, lazy or any of those things we just said. Uh, they get into teaching for a reason, and teaching can beat you down sometimes with with the the all the different things that we do, like lesson plans for one. You yeah. know, like yeah. I, I spent like a semester in college learning about lesson plans, and when I became a teacher, and fortunately, the schools I worked at at the time were like, "Yeah, we don't turn those in. We just trust you to do your job." It's like, oh, okay, yeah. I think okay. if if we can trust teachers to be in a classroom all day long, unsupervised with kids we can probably trust them to do something worthwhile during that time and not force them to turn in lesson plans Pretty unless sure. there's an issue. And right. then, yeah, we definitely right. should. And we should be in there every day also. So, right. Well, know. that's, right. that's the thing is how do we support them to get better if we've identified the issue and not just let it go until we get so angry and dissatisfied with them and them with us that it just turns into a bad situation. I totally agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I want to shift a little bit into talking about technology. So we, we've we read a lot of things in the past few months uh, from magazines like Education Week and a lot of uh, blogs out there about the role of technology in schools and how it de-emphasizes the role of the teacher. 
And a lot of things about personalized learning that are out there are kids are sitting in front of computer screens all day. Um, we, if you've listened to us at all, we clearly don't believe in that, but the, we think there is a role of technology. So as a principal, how do you feel technology fits into the personalized learning model? Oh man, this is, this is one of my, uh, rant points. Awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I, I feel really passionately about technology because I know how powerful it is. However, that being said, technology in the hands of a poor teacher makes that teacher worse than they were before. But technology in the hands of a great teacher makes that teacher even better than they were. So I do not believe that technology is the answer because if you've got a teacher that has poor classroom management and you give them a device for every single student, what are those kids going to be doing if the kids aren't even on task when the teacher doesn't have technology? There's no way they're going to be doing what the teacher actually wants them to do. So if she can't control them when they're, and I said control on purpose, if she can't control them when they are without technology in her class, how can we expect her to know what they're doing when they do have technology? There's just no way. So I, I believe the technology has a very important role. Um, I read somewhere recently, I don't remember where it was, that you can do personalized learning without technology, but you can't do personalized learning at scale without technology. And so to be able to personalize the learning is a wonderful, great thing that any good teacher can do without a single piece of technology in her classroom. But for her to do that repeatedly and over a long term, she really needs to have some sort of technology to manage it so that she can manage all the different ways that kids are going. So I do believe that it's very important, but it is not the be all and end all. And I have, um, you know, that same concern in my district that parents are saying, well, with all this personalized learning, kids are just going to be sitting in front of screens all the time. And Heather Staker, who co-wrote uh, Blended with Michael Horn, um, she said that it's not about quantity of screen time. It's really about quality of screen time. And so if we are putting the tools in the kids' hands and they are accessing good quality resources, then nobody cares how long they're on the technology. What we don't like is if they are playing mindless games the entire time, or if they are surfing social media constantly, those things are not helpful or beneficial for them. And that's what we want to avoid. And again, that goes back to a teacher being a good teacher already before we introduce the technology. So the other aspect of that is really something that I think is is so important is that when the teacher has that opportunity to have that technology, they need to know themselves what it is that they want the kids to learn and how they want to support them in that. Now, when we move the technology, the learning into the kids' hands, the teacher needs to know how to be a facilitator and a guide. And I believe that that requires a teacher who is even more skilled and more dedicated than your average teacher. So it, it's not that we're going to turn our teaching over to technology, but that we are truly asking our teachers to step up to a higher level and be even better teachers than they were by knowing what the kids need and being able to support them in the things that they're doing. That is the real challenge. And we don't, 
we don't get technology so we can have just soup teachers walking around making sure kids are doing what they're doing. We need teachers that are even better. We're not trying to get rid of teachers. We're asking teachers to become better than we've ever asked them to be before. Yeah, I, yeah. I totally agree with that part is that uh, a lot of the, the pushback that we get at the beginning is we have, we have a lot of technology in our district. We're, we're very fortunate that, that our community supports it. So we're, we're one-to-one from sixth grade up. And we have tons of iPads and Chromebooks in the lower grades, uh, not quite one-to-one, but but there's all kinds of stuff. And the worry from some of our new parents until we talk to them is like, okay, is my kid just going to be on the screen all day? Are they just playing on the iPad all day? Uh, are they are they just doing stuff while the teacher kind of monitors? Are they babysitting? Are, are we trying to get rid of teachers? And, and all of those things that you just said, it's not. It's about becoming a better teacher, using the technology to enhance the learning, rather than just be something else you do, have it mean something. And, and we really struggle with that. And I think, I think that the country suffers that because you see all the articles about how technology is bad and Bill Gates is trying to take over. And, you know, there's, there's so many bad things. It just gets a bad rap. And I, I think that's, that's also just as dangerous as putting kids in front of screens all day. Yeah. And Matt, don't you think that if that really is the case, that um, technology is so bad, we should be actively, actively teaching parents and students how to use technology appropriately. I mean, how bad examples are parents, myself included, I'm not talking down to anybody. um, How many times have I been uh, texting someone or doing something on my phone and my kid's like, dad, 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 what a horrible example I am for them. I'm telling them that my screen is more important than them they're learning it from us, right? We don't know how to use technology effectively yet. So it's all new to us as well. That's part of what's so challenging is, you know, we're being exposed to the new technology at the same times our kids are. And we've got to figure out a way to, to do that in a better way. Um, I've, I've interviewed a guy named Frederick Lane who wrote a book called cyber traps for educators and cyber traps for the young and cyber traps for new parents and cyber traps for a bunch of other things. And he talks a lot about that idea that we start kids out so young with technology, not knowing the ramifications socially, ability-wise, all kinds of issues that can happen because of technology that we as adults don't even understand yet. And that makes it incredibly challenging for us to know what to do and how to teach them. And so we're all struggling through this together instead of, you know, just talking about how bad it is. We need to be having these conversations with parents, with families about when to give phones to kids, when to give them access, how to give them access, when they should be on social media, ensuring that they don't plug their phones in in their room, that they have them outside of their room. And adults need to take that advice as well. That is a huge ask. But if you're going to have that much technology in your school, I think it is incumbent on you to engage parents in those kinds of conversations. And they're not easy. No, no, they're not. And I, I totally agree with that, that one of, one of our focuses, uh, we, have, we have some technology coordinators in our district that not only help teachers um, use the tech, but use the tech to enhance their lessons and some different ways that kids can, can gather evidence. But we, we have a lot of parent meetings also. Unfortunately, they're, they're not as well attended as we'd like, but it's about getting the same messages out to our, to our parents. 
Um, I liked how you said we're kind of learning as, as we go with them. Uh, it's it's weird, but you know when I went to college, you know the the most technology I had was my electronic typewriter. So that gives you a hint right there how old we are. But you know I I've, I've done the same thing. You look around in an admin meeting and people are on their phones, they're on their laptops, they're half listening, and that's it's a terrible example for our kids. Um, we we can do better. But I think that's where some of the bad rap is. It's it's about the negative parts and not the positive parts because you know nobody wants to hear about nice things because then the nightly news would not be as fun. Yeah, and here we are, Matt. You're in Maine, and I'm in Alaska, and we are talking together about how we can improve education for kids all over the world, and people all over the world are going to hear what we're talking about. That is the beauty of technology. You asked before why I started my podcast. This is part of it to show that there is positive power in these connecting technologies. And there's no way I would be as good a principal as I am today if it were not for me doing this podcast. I mean, no way in the world. So anybody out there, I would say just start a podcast, not so that you can get people to listen or so that can grow into anything else but so that you can have a reason to learn yourself and share that learning with somebody else. I mean, that right there, that shows the power of technology and all the things that I've been able to do because of this platform and this opportunity is just amazing. I, I just can't even begin to describe how awesome it is. No, <laughs> I just I totally can't. It's agree. awesome. I totally agree. This is one of the reasons we do this. Uh, the Courtney and I do this together. Uh, we just like talking to each other. So we decided to tape our talks rather than uh, just talk to each other all the time. So uh, you're right. It's not about getting the listeners and, and you know trying to push whatever agenda that I might have, uh, which really is Danny, of course. It's just about that we love talking about this stuff and we love talking about it with other people. And, you know, I talked to you. You say you're in Alaska right now. I talked with my daughter who is uh, on on semester break over Norway for this semester. Uh, so cool. the, the other side the of the world. Of- and, you know, I talked to her on FaceTime so I could actually see what was happening and just catching up with her a little bit. And, you know, so we've, we've pretty much talked around the world today. Um, and it's fascinating. So we have the technology. Let's use it to our best of our abilities and try to avoid doing some of those, those bad things. Bad things. Yeah. Can I share a really personal story? Please. Is that all right? Please. Of course. Of course. So, um, my oldest daughter uh, was born in 2006. Um, the day after she was born, my dad moved to Brazil. Um, and he lived down there for almost 10 years. And he held her in the hospital and then he moved down there. And um, and then he didn't see her again until her eighth birthday. And um, except between that time, the iPad was invented and FaceTime, which is so easy with an iPad. It's just ridiculous. So we were able to call my dad for like 55 cents a minute before then the iPad came out and we were able to FaceTime my dad for zero cents per minute. And my daughter developed a relationship with her grandpa that was very powerful. Um, then we move, he moved back to the States and then we moved to Alaska. So we're basically like as far away as, <laughs> as Brazil right. again. <laughs> right. And, um, and father's day of 2016, um, I did a FaceTime call with him and talked with him, told him how grateful I was that he was my dad. And, um, 
and we were able to have this great connection and said hi to my kids. And then, um, and then we hung up and two days later, he suffered a stroke from which he would eventually pass away from. And I cannot tell you how grateful I am that we had those FaceTime conversations that it's one thing to talk on the phone, but to be able to see the other person and see their face and their facial expressions and see what's going on around them. Um, for him to be able to see my kids um, so many times before he passed away, um, when otherwise he would have been able to see them, you know, three or four times in their lifetime. And yet he could talk with them every single week or most weeks, sometimes we didn't get every week, but most weeks before he passed away, my kids actually know who their dad, their grandpa is. And that is an amazing um, experience that, you know, I just can't, I, I just can't emphasize that enough. That's the power of the connection and the ability with the technology that we have. And so if we go from that very personal thing to something that, how do we connect kids with people who will impact and change their lives for the better um, using these technologies? Uh, that's amazing. And the power that we have that, um, you know, our, our friend Don Wetrick, who gets people like Tim Ferriss to Skype into his class and talk to his kids about um, starting a business or living their life a certain way. I mean, for there's no way that Tim Ferriss could go to a class in the middle of Indiana and talk to people and make that worth his while. But he can take an hour out of his day and do a Skype call with him. And that is worth his time because he's giving back in a powerful way and making um, meaningful relationships and inspiring kids. And that's what technology allows us to do. It takes down those walls and removes the distance that's often there. Thank you for sharing that. That was, that was incredible and some great advice for our technology future. I have a couple, just a couple more questions. I know we've been going on for a little bit. Um, one of them, I think, specifically talks to your role as a principal. Um, so one concern that Courtney and I have on this podcast is a lot around programs. Uh, and programs are sometimes bought by districts or schools as the solution to whatever problem you're buying them for. Uh, but as we talked about and we mentioned today already, there isn't ever just one solution. It's a combination of things. How do you maneuver that fine line with your purchases for your school and what are your suggestions for schools or districts on how to avoid this issue? Man, what a great question. And I think we could talk about this for quite a long amount of time as well. Um, when, when we talk about purchasing programs, the, the real challenge is that they, they're typically not priced in a way that is effective for a school. So, for example, if it's a per seat license, um, they they typically do that because that is easier for schools to say, well, I have 400 kids. So this is how much it's going to cost seven bucks per kid, twenty eight hundred bucks. That's all well and good, except not all of my students need it. And I don't know how many actually need it. So my advice to any people out there designing software for schools is either have a subscription model that is very inexpensive for the size of your school um, that either have that or have a 
have a flexible way to track how many kids are using. So for example, if, if we're doing something like a math fact fluency program, for example, I, I'm at a middle school. Not all my students need that, but enough of my students need that, that I really should buy it. However, I don't exactly know how many of my kids do need that. And I'm not going to know at the beginning of the year. And I may not have an accurate number in the middle of the year because sometimes those kids hide those abilities or lack of ability. And so being able to say like one that I'm thinking about costs 35 bucks per student, that's pretty dang expensive for me to to justify when there's a lot of other things that I need to be buying. So either a subscription model that's much cheaper than 35 bucks per student or something that um, allows me to add students as I need to with the cost adjusting automatically with those students being added. Because once a kid masters that, I don't want to pay 35 bucks for that seat anymore because I don't need it anymore. And so like that doesn't really answer your question of how do I personally deal, deal with that? Because <laughs> those models don't really exist yet, but those are the kinds of things that need to um, exist for us to be able to make smart decisions. And here's the other thing, because we're talking about wishes still, and I'll get, I'll answer your question in just a second. But the other <laughs> wish that I have that I've been thinking a lot about lately is I need all of that information to flow into one system. And if I'm using different things, I need that all to feed into the same place. And ideally, that's what our student information system, our grading system, or whatever it is that we may be using. Ideally, that's where it all flows. However, it doesn't flow there automatically. And it needs to because companies, I believe, need to write APIs so that the software can talk to each other so that they can send all of their data to some other system so that we can see it in a holistic way and give kids quote unquote credit for the things that they do accomplish. So if we're passing off that standard on math fact fluency and my middle school kids don't have that skill yet, if they do it in this system, it should reflect in the teacher system automatically that they have done that. So, so those are just two suggestions of how we should fix that software issue. And if there's any software developers that want to talk with me more about that, please contact me because I've got wonderful ideas about how to make that work <laughs> that I know I would just buy in a heartbeat as a principal. So how do we make those decisions? Um, I try really hard to give as many options as possible to my teachers and whatever they need to get their work done with their kids. I want to provide that to them, which means that sometimes we overspend on things that we don't really need um, that much of, but we do need it for certain kids. So we do our best to balance that. And and it's a tough question, Matt, because you, you don't know exactly what you need. And it's hard to tell if something's going to be good or worthwhile all the time. And that's, that's really challenging. So, you know, I, I don't have a perfect answer for that, but it's about providing need for students. So one of the things that I've done the last three years as principal is we've developed our own software and we've hired um, companies to do it. We've partnered with Carnegie Mellon. And those are two different ways that we've created our own software to meet our own individual needs. And that is another thing that, you know, for me, I set aside a part of my budget to 
create something for our school. And then depending on the district, I do my best to make it open source so that everybody has an opportunity to, to participate in that as well. Because I really believe that that can, that can make our, um, our schools better if we do that. So one of the things that, that we created is called picker P I C K R.org. You can go download that on your computer right now. If you have a Mac, <laughs> cause we didn't develop it for PC. <laughs> um, but you can download that right now and you can start ad hoc flexible grouping with your students outside of your current SIS. Um, so that you can put kids in groups. And we do that in our advisory uh, time during the day. Kids go to advisory and every two weeks we change what that looks like. They register for it on this picker app and then they, um, and then they go to it according to what the schedule says in, in picker. And it's awesome because it, it allows us to do something that's personalized that there's no way that any, school scheduling software we have I have ever used or looked at can handle changing something every two weeks without being a total nightmare. But, you know, if principals can get behind creating something and districts can support them in that, you can do some really amazing things. And this year, we're in the process of um, teaching background knowledge about Alaska Native cultures and and their relation to uh, the Raven mythos. Um, up here in Alaska, that is going to be beneficial for every single student and adult in Alaska to know more about that history. And we're creating a chatbot that will walk kids and adults through that mythos so that they understand how important the Raven is to native Alaskan culture and to the different tribes that are up here because they each see it in their own unique way. That is fascinating. And I have definitely, uh, kept on that uh, picker app right now, because I think that's something that we can use. Uh, Jethro, this has been great. Uh, we have one question that we always ask our guests. Uh, and Courtney usually asks this, but I'm going to do it since she's not here today. Uh, so what is your biggest doo-doo when it comes to personalized learning? My biggest doo-doo. Um, you know, I would say that personalized learning starts with the um, with the teachers. If you're doing faculty meetings in the old way of the principal stands up and talks about things that could be sent in an email, then it's time to stop. The biggest do do is model it for your teachers. Every faculty meeting, every PLC should all be organized in a way that you would expect teachers to organize learning for their students. And for me, that is, that is the number one. You model it and you do it so that you show how it can be possible. And if you don't know how to do that, man, reach out and find somebody who does. And there are tons of people out there, you and Courtney, me, hundreds of other principals and leaders and teachers who can help change what you're doing. If your professional development for your school or district is sit and get, spray and pray, whatever you want to call it, then you're totally missing an opportunity and you've got to adjust it to be more personalized for your adults. Jethro Jones, thank you very much for coming on today. You are welcome. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was excellent. And it's always nice to end with a big doo-doo. 
As always, follow the pod on Twitter at PLearnMC, also on Facebook and Instagram at PLearnMC, and our website is also at PLearnMC.com if you haven't quite figured that out yet. You can also follow Jethro on Twitter at Jethro Jones, his podcast at TRNFRM Principal, or at transformativeprincipal.org. That will all be in the show notes. Courtney's back with me next week. We will talk then.